Amen. Turn with me to the book of James. I'm going to uh, go through the book of James now for the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, and just be led of the Lord. Some of the great announcements that we got coming up are the different uh, ministries, Elevate on Friday, 730, Crossover tonight at 730, uh, 7 o'clock rather, Latino on Tuesday, The Bridge is still meeting at Isha's house on Thursday, Small Groups Friday at David and Araceli's. Everybody say, come on, Jesus. So there's plenty of stuff for you to be a part of. We also have the crossover small groups every other Friday at Andrew's house. And uh, every other Sunday at the Crossroads house is the youth small group. And then right now, there's literally like six days of evangelism. There are so many days of evangelism. Next month, uh, you know, next week in April, we're going to be starting at 4 o'clock, the uh, Ohio Park Ministry Evangelism. Then we're still doing the uh, 8 o'clock, but now it's going to be 7 o'clock evangelism at Wicker Park. So that's going on Saturday. Then Ish is doing Latino evangelism every Saturday now. So you got three evangelism ministries that's going on Saturday, which is like Latino, uh, Ohio Park, and then Wicker Park. And then you got crossover going to uh, Wright College. What days you guys go? Fridays? Uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays every week? Look at that, every week. So there's three right there with crossover. There's three there on Saturday. And then we have the one on Wednesday at 530. A lot of this is for our Bible college students. So right now we have seven evangelism days. Somebody say amen. Amen. I think we're going to fill up all these chairs with some evangelism. You all believe that? Hallelujah. So we have those seven evangelism days. We have like a prayer meeting before every one of our services. So come Sunday at 915. Come um, Sunday nights for crossover at 615. Come a youth service 615. Come Latino service 615 prayer meeting. And then you got Eddie Berto with this prayer meeting on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays and Fridays at 4.15 a.m. So you got that, like, what's that? That's six prayer meetings. And then Vanessa, the radical girl for God, she comes up to me and she's like, can I have a prayer meeting every day of the week? So we're going to have to work on this and find out if we can have the church open. How many just love Jesus? About four of you? Come on, let's not give a golf clap. How many love Jesus? I just love talking about all those things. Are you with me in the book of James? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're going to talk today about the subject, pure and faultless religion. Pure and faultless religion. I want you to put on your notes my name, obviously, as a speaker. The date and the subject is pure and faultless religion. But then after that, I want you to list out these seven points. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and put spaces between each one of them. Because I'm going to show you seven main points in this chapter right here today. You're going to learn seven things about God that you probably... Um, didn't know or will be a review for you and I want you to see all seven of them as we go through them so number one trials those will be verses two through four number two you're going to learn about wisdom that'll be verses five and eight verse uh, number three humility those will be verses nine through twelve number four temptation that'll be verses 13 through 18 number five listening that'll be 19 through 21 obedience, which is number six, verse, uh, verses 22 through 25, and then pure and faultless religion, number seven, 26 through 27. If you're not getting it, all follow your neighbor, but it's trials, wisdom, humility, temptation, listening, obedience, pure and faultless religion. So let's start in verse one and let's begin to read. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Hallelujah. 
James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Now, we just learned some things about this guy's brother in our last series a little while back. Who was James's brother? Jude. Thank you, my brother. Jude was James's brother. And who were Jude and James half-brothers of? Jesus, you guys remember that. So now you're going to read James's letter. You read Jude's letter. Now you're reading James's. This is not James, the brother of John, the disciple. This is James, the brother of Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, once again, some interesting things about these brothers. I don't think I mentioned it with Jude, is that at first they were not believers in Jesus. So as his brothers, they actually persecuted him and made fun of him a little bit. If you remember one time, they wanted Jesus to come with them to the festival so that he could kind of prove that he he was the Messiah. And Jesus said, I don't do things like that. I'm not going to go out there, put on a, a show and have a display booth and be like, here I am. And then they began to kind of make fun of them for that. Also, the Bible says another time that Mary and his uh, Jesus's brother and sisters tried to get Jesus to stop preaching in his hometown because the hometown people were making fun of Jesus. They're saying, who does this guy think he is? We know his mother, brother, and sister. They're right here, and we know he's not anybody special. He's just a normal guy. And then the brothers and sisters, along with Mary, tried to say, come on, Jesus, stop preaching in Nazareth. They're not going to respect you there. But Jesus said, who's my mother, brother, and sister? Those who do the will of the Lord. Amen. So if you need some new family, here's some new family for you. Amen. Here's some will of the Lord type people. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, another interesting thing about James is that he was the leader of the New Testament church. The New Testament church was not led by Peter. Some people think that it was Peter that was in charge of the church, and he wasn't, because Peter himself was an apostle going out doing the missions work. When they voted for who was in charge of the Jerusalem church, it was James. Everybody say James. And how we know that is because when Peter was traveling around and he had some questions about the Gentiles getting saved, where did he bring his question to? He brought it to James, and James was the one with the leader of, uh, the leader of the apostles, with the apostles that wrote the letter and told the Gentile believers that they didn't have to abstain from eating lechon and um, crawfish, and they could uh, do those different things and didn't have to be snip-snipped. Amen? Okay, so everybody say, James was the leader. All right, now let's go to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. James is specifically going to speak to the Jewish people here. Now, this doesn't mean it's only for Jews. It's just you've got to always remember letters had an audience, a person receiving the letter. Just like if a letter was directed towards me, it would be like to Joe. Are you all with me? Just like Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy is a young disciple of Paul, but we get to learn from Timothy's lessons. Amen? So we're going to learn from the lessons that James is speaking to the Jews. Now, one way to look at this is that James was in charge of... Of the Jewish believers and Paul was in charge of the non-Jewish believers. So if you want to look at it that way, it's easy to say that James and Peter went to the Jews and Paul went to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. Everybody with me? Wonderful. Now going on to verse 2, or he says greetings. Everybody look at your neighbor and say greetings. Okay, and it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. 
The man who, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now, there's two main things that we want to look at in this passage right here, or really one. First of all, we want to look at the wisdom of God. Everybody say the wisdom of God. Look what the Bible says. Oh, I'm sorry, not the wisdom of God. Everybody say trials. Look at verse 2 where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many have faced some trials of many kinds? Has anybody here faced those type of trials? Now, listen to the definition here of a trial. Trial is not you facing sin. Sin is a temptation. We will deal with temptations at the end of this passage. Are you all with me? So we're not talking about you struggling with pornography. We're not talking about having a bad temper and you're saying that's your trial. We're not, we're not saying that you have a gambling problem, you spent all your money, and now you're being tested on how you're going to pay your bills. This is not the type of trial it's talking about. Those trials are sins, and sins need to be dealt with and handled right now. So people who say, I'm struggling with sin, are not following the Word of God. Amen? I got like two amens. I'm going to say it again. Those who are struggling with sin are not following the will of God. They're not following the Word of God. Amen? We are not to be struggling with sin. If I came to my wife and I said, I am struggling with having an affair with another woman, do you think that would be a good thing? Do you think that would be something that she would say, oh, I understand. We'll just, we'll work on that. She would say, right now you make a decision. Are you all with me? She would say, either you stop struggling with wanting to have uh, an affair with another woman, or you leave me and go do it because I'm done with you. When we say to God, God, I love you, but I'm struggling with sin, you don't really love him. The Bible says, if you love him, you will keep his commands. And the Bible says, his commands are not hard to keep. They're not burdensome. So think of it this way. When you're struggling with the commands of God, what you're really doing is struggling with your love towards God. Because if I began to struggle with wanting to cheat on my wife, I'm really struggling with my love for her. You guys getting this? So these type of temptations we're talking about, our trials rather, are not temptations. These trials, as it says, of many kinds, or in the King James, various kinds, are trials that would be trials from persecution. Consider it joy when you're being persecuted and you're suffering for being a Christian. Young people, when your parents put you down for serving God, consider it joy. You see, it would make no sense for me to say, consider it joy when you're struggling with pornography. You see, some people want to talk about their trials being temptation. That's why you got to know the difference. Look at verse 2, everybody. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because what's going on in those trials? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So does God test us with sin? Does God test us with wickedness? No. God tests us with the trials of many kinds in this world. What's another type of trial? More than persecution. How about financial troubles? Financial troubles. People struggle financially. Right now with the economy going up and down, people are struggling. Struggling. It is a test of people's faith. Right now, God is testing people's faith, whether or not they put their faith in the almighty God or put their faith in God. Like I've always said, the dollar bill says um, we trust in God. Doesn't the dollar bill say that? You hold it out? It says trust in God. But now what are people trusting in? The dollar bill. 
And so what did, uh, what did God do in the Old Testament through the prophets? When people began to trust in money, he took the money from them. And what did Dave Wilkerson say, a prophet among us right now? I just got it on my Facebook, Dave Wilkerson in uh, New York, uh, Manhattan. He said that right now God is going to rip apart our economy to test his people because they have rejected him. Because people have gotten so greedy, because people want such these uh, luxurious things. Everybody wants to be rich and famous. This reality show craze and what people will do for money. All the things going on in corrupt businesses. The Bible actually talks about that. Well, the book of James actually talks about when the poor give wrong interest to the uh, when the rich give wrong interest to the poor. When they oppress the poor, God hears their cries and judges them. Our country has oppressed the poor. Are you all with me? The Bible says that God will judge us, and a prophet of our day is saying the same thing. Those are trials, because guess what? You and I live in America, and God may be judging your boss, and you may have to go on the leave for a little while. That's going to be a trial or test. Now, I believe ultimately that God will defend us and give us a better job. But if your company goes bankrupt because God is judging that company, you need to keep serving God. Amen? Because what do we learn here in our trials? That they are developing our faith, developing perseverance. In verse 4, perseverance must finish its work. The Bible says he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. So if God promises us these things in our life and those things in our life get tested, we should hold on to his promises. And when we learn to hold on to a promise in the middle of a test, we develop the gift or the strength of perseverance. Like take, for example, if I took most of you out right now and I said, let's run 15K, let's do a marathon right now. How many know they would not have the perseverance to run what would be the equivalent of about 30 miles right now? Amen. I'll put my hand up. I could probably only go about a half a mile, you know. I would need Hector to carry me. He would be just, he'd be like the only one just leading the jog, you know. He'd just be like, man, this ain't nothing. I usually do about 40K. So I want you to think about this. How do we develop that? How would we become a marathon runner? We start with one mile. We start with two miles. The Bible says he will not allow you to be tested more than what you can handle. So no matter what you go through, you can know I'm going through. Amen? So everything you're going through now that might be weighing on your mind, like I don't know if I'm going to make it, here's the proof you're going to make it. If you're going through it, you're going to go through it. Amen? That's how it works. If you have a test, it will be your testimony. So there's no way you can be crushed underneath your trial. It just can't happen. God said if you are facing it, you will go through it. Everybody say amen. So the Bible says that that gift will be developed. So how does God test our faith in trials? Well, he doesn't give you everything all at once. Sometimes he just tests certain things in your life. I remember being in Bible college, being tested with ministry. And I had maybe one or two little sheep, just one or two little disciples. Are you all with me right here? Come on. And those little two sheep, sometimes it would be so hard to pastor. And my faith would be tested. And I would have to get on my knees. And I would have to say, Lord, oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Okay? But God says, you can make it, Joe. And you, you don't probably understand that pastoring's hard sometimes. But it is. Okay, I'm going to confess. But uh, with these two people, God's like, you can make it, Joe. You can keep preaching. You can keep making disciples. And guess 
guess what? As I passed that test, got the gift of perseverance, ran my first mile, God said, now here's 14K. Here's 50 people. Here's 100 people. Keep growing. Keep developing. We're working with other nations right now, India and other pastors and different countries. Why? Because the gift of perseverance is being brought up. It's the same thing with marriage, you know. Uh, you have a child. You get tested maybe with that one child, but then you just keep having babies and you get used to having a family. And God can increase your family, bless your marriage. Amen? Sometimes people say, well, they struggle in their marriage. Well, keep, keep fighting through that. You're going to make it through. Trials of various kinds build in us perseverance. And when you stand the test, you will get an A grade. Amen? You will pass. Amen? Amen. But here's what God asks us to do. In the middle of these tests, he says, now, if we're lacking wisdom, that we should ask. Now, why should we be asking God for wisdom? Because we always don't know what's going on. We don't always have the idea of how it all works together. I don't know about you, but my cantaloupe-sized brain cannot figure out the world yet, okay? Is anybody else with me? Or do you got this thing all figured out and you just planned it all out so perfectly? You know what traffic's going to be like. You know what the economy's going to be like. You know what everybody else is going to be like in your job. Come on. Do you know all of that? No. We don't have perfect knowledge. So how many times have you been in a test and you're like, God, what is going on? You're like, God, I don't understand. How many of you have been in those places? You're like, God, what is happening? Well, that's when we ask God for wisdom. And the Bible says right here that when we ask God for wisdom, that he gives generously, verse 5, to all without finding fault. So that means God is not going to look at you going, oh, man, you are so dumb. You should already understand what's going on. You should know why you're going through this test in your family. Or you should know why you're going through this test at school. Or you should know why you're going through this test at church. You're so dumb. I find so much fault with you. I'm not telling you anything. Go to your room and figure it out. That is not God. But how many times in our trials and tests we feel alone? You see, that alone feeling is actually a time for us to grow in our knowledge and intimacy with God. So when you're going through that test, you feel like you're alone. You feel like you don't understand everything. Instead of quitting on God, running away, you should come to God. You should seek God more and say, God, I'm looking for an answer. I'm looking to understand it. And he doesn't always give you all of the jots and tittles. He doesn't always tell you everything. But he'll give you enough peace and understanding so you can make it through. Amen? The way I look at life is like a connect the dots. Some people look at life like it's going to be really simple. It's all going to make sense, you know, like it's going to be like a ladder, like step one, step two, step three. You know, it's like I go to school, I go to college, I get married, I have children, I get a job. Like nobody puts in there like I'm going to lose my mother to cancer. See, that's a trial in the test. See, nobody puts that in their life. N- nobody says, I'm going to get uh, fi- uh, or fired or laid off from my job because the whole, you know, Internet industry goes down the tubes or the whole printing industry starts to go down. You know, nobody puts that right there. Are you all with me? So what happens? You're going from, you're thinking, well, I'm going from A to B to this and that. But I look at life more like it's a connect the dots. And I know you guys have heard me say this. It's like A is here and like B is way over here. And like C is somewhere down here. And then D is over here. And so what happens is God is not taking your life like one, two, three. God is like taking your life like all over the place. And so you're trying to figure out, God, why am I here? And then all of a sudden I'm way over here. And then now I'm over here. You guys get what I'm saying? And then God says, hey, now take a step back and look at the beautiful duck right there. Because you know, like when you do connect the dots, there's a little duck right there and you color it in. How many know what I'm talking about? And it's like, God, I'm not getting it. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I'm on point Z or, or, or point D, whatever, and I don't get it. What does it look like? What's going on in my life? And God will say, here, here's what it looks like. I'm developing things in you. 
I'm doing things behind the scenes. I'm working on things that you can't work on right now. I'm putting things in place. I'm doing things right now that you never thought I could do because I'm going to bless you. How many know what I'm talking about? I mean, here God was working behind the scenes in our church, you know. We're looking at people, some of the people leaving Metro Praise. We're trying to figure out, man, we're supposed to go from A to B, but like my A and my B is like over here, you know what I'm saying? Like A, B. And I'm like, what's going on? And then God says, well, I'm just going to give you nations. We're just going to make a trade right here. I'm going to get the poopy out the church, and then I'm going to give you some nations. How does that sound? Amen? I mean, see, God's going to work and twerk it his way. And that's why when we get discouraged in our trial, you need to ask God for wisdom who will not find fault. But here's the deal. Verse 6. But when he asked or she asked, they must not doubt but believe. You see, here's the thing. When you are in a trial or test and you begin to doubt God and say, I don't know if God is real or I don't know if God is with me or I don't know if God's going to bring me through this, you will remain in a place of instability. Instability. You will remain in a place like a little ship on a wild ocean where you will get blown back every which way. That's what the Bible compares you to. When you are a doubting man, the Bible says, you are unstable in all of your ways. Look at verse 8. You, are, you will not receive anything in verse 7. And in verse 8, you are unstable in all that you do. You cannot get into a test and start doubting God. If God is real, if God's with me, will I make it through this, God? No. The way it works with God is you say, God, I know I'm going to make it through. I know that you're with me. See, that's faith. Nobody can give it to you or take it away. Faith is something you have when you read the Word of God. It's something you decide. I either believe it or I don't believe it. Are you all with me? And so you make that decision, a free will decision. I believe in God. Settle it. Bam. There it is. Next thing. I believe I will come through this test. I believe my family may change. I will change. Something will happen, and this test will be over. I will pass this test. I believe that I can make it through without having my mother, my father, without having that job, with switching a career. I believe I will make it through. Amen? And then now, God, I ask you to show me how. You see, no doubt. You say, Pastor, I struggle in my face sometimes. Well, we all have. But you have to understand, if you stay in that place, you will not pass your test. The only way you're coming out of that test is if you develop some perseverance. Because anybody will tell you, going back to that running example, when you're running that marathon, when you run in that second and third mile, you are going to feel some pain. You're going to feel some things going on. Now, those pains, once again, are not the commands of the Lord. The commands of the Lord will actually bring you joy. But the things that will bring you pain are the wicked, evil things of this life that are trying to stop you from living for God. The economy that's being cursed by God, that will try to bring you pain. But don't turn that on God and doubt God. Keep your faith in God, and he'll explain to you how to pay your bills. Amen? He'll give you a new career. Hallelujah. He'll give you what you got to do. I mean, it ain't nothing but a thing. Amen? It just ain't nothing but a thing. Look at your neighbor saying nothing but a thing. Amen. It's just a job. Hallelujah. It's just a career. God can switch another one. God can put up a new business. God could create a whole other industry that we don't know about. Nobody knew anything about the Internet 20 years ago. Then it went up and down, up and down. I mean, come on. God could create a whole other industry. It's all about just trusting God, saying, God, I believe that, I'm, that you're real, that you're with me. God, I believe that I'm going to make it through. Now give me the wisdom, because if not, you're unstable. Somebody say amen. Now look with me to verse 9. Now, he's just, I love James because he's just going to keep bringing up different points. He's a great speaker here. He's like going to bring up all these great things. Now he's going to switch from the, the double-mindedness, and he's going to go right to what it means to be humble in life. Verse 9, 
The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Everybody say humility. See, we just talked about trials, and we talked about wisdom. Now we're talking about humility. Here's humility. Here's the definition of it. Everything you have is going to go away one day. Does that humble you? I should. Because what makes us proud on this earth? Our cars, our house, our jobs, our money. Well, guess what? You're losing it all. And look how James looks at it. He looks at it like this. The richer you are, the harder it's going to be for you to lose it all. So actually people are thinking, man, I want so much. I want so much. And then Paul is, uh, James is saying right here, look at this. The one that has all of these things who is rich should take pride in his low position. I don't think you all getting this. Well, let me just tell you right now, the kingdom of God is upside down from the kingdom of this world. Let me give you some examples. The kingdom of God says if you want to be first, you've got to be last. See, the kingdom of the world says you've got to do everything on your own and strive and have pride and believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody's going to believe in you. See, God says forget all that. You be last. Deny yourself. You be last, you're going to be first. Hallelujah. See, that's the kingdom of this world. Here's another one. You go down, you go up. See, the world just teaches you keep going up, 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 up. Be prideful. Step on people. But the Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. You see, you think in, in kindergarten these kids racing for that drinking fountain, one's going to be better than the other. The Bible says you just let everybody go first, and then you're going to come and take it. Because if you go down, you're going to go up, because God will exalt you. The teacher will say, oh, look at that one right there. Let's just give him something special. Oh, I'm telling you, come on. I mean, I've heard too many testimonies. Let me tell you one I just heard. A young man grew up in the low-income neighborhood in the projects. He didn't have anything. He, uh, he had to get, come early to get the free breakfast at school, and all the kids would line up and get their pancakes every single day. Well, the school said, we're not giving it out anymore. You've got to go to your family's house and got to eat. And this kid was poor. He didn't have anything. He actually came to school just to have his lunch and, you know, his breakfast and lunch. And here he didn't have anything, but he said, you know what? I'm going to show up at that school anyway. So he just showed up, and there was a teacher there that said, look, man, go, go get me a bagel. And then when he went to go get him a bagel, he gave him a couple dollars and let him buy his own breakfast. He said he did that every day until he graduated. He would come and serve that teacher, and that teacher would give him something. You see, the Bible says the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. So let me go to this one more time and see if I can get a better amen. The Bible says the one that is rich on this earth is actually in a low position. The one that's rich is in a low position, people. Why? Because they're going to lose everything. The man that's poor, what's he going to lose? Just his mat, just his little old apartment, just his little old pots that he has, his little old silverware. Which the rich man going to watch burn up in the fire? That Lexus, that Hummer, all those houses that he owns, all those clothes, because they're all going to go away. The Bible says right here that the rich man should look at himself as a wild flower that when the sun comes out, it withers and goes away. So the best that we can do on this world is be compared to a little wild flower. Isn't that something the Bible says? Even that flower is better than all of our riches. Matthew chapter 6, uh, the Bible says that Solomon, who was one of the richest men in the world, the richest man of the Bible, it said that Solomon in all of his glory couldn't compare to the beauty of that wild flower. And that wild flower still fades away. Let me just tell you this right here. If you have a lot, be humble because you're going to lose a lot. But then now here's the other one. If you don't have anything, be humble because you don't have anything. 
The Bible says you just might as well be humble now because you don't have much. And people are going to try to pretend that they're better than you because they have more. Like the class system in India. We may not have that here, but we have a little bit of pride and ego among what uh, subdivision you live in, what neighborhoods you live in. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have ever been to Wicker Park, Michigan Avenue and felt like you didn't belong there? Neiman Marcus, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you belong there. We love you, and that's why you're our friends, okay? Because we just want what you have. No, I'm kidding. But listen, we know what it's like. So the Bible says you should be uh, humble, not be proud, because you don't have anything. And the Bible then says both of us, the rich and the poor, will go away like the wildflower. So this is the lesson right here. The lesson is uh, to always know the position that God has you in. What does God have you in? Compared to the world, we may be rich. So just be humble with your riches. In this community, you may be poor compared to what other people have. Well, then be humble because you don't have a lot. Just remain humble whether you're rich or you're poor. Amen? That's what he's saying. Now let's go on to temptation. Or, or rather, let's keep going to verse 12. I actually skipped one. And it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, if I was writing the book of the Bible, I would have put that right after verse 8. Amen? Because that would seem to go right with it, you know. Here's the double-minded man. He doesn't receive anything, trials and tests, and then tell you you're going to stand and pass the test. But James chose to throw right in the middle of there this story about the pride of the rich and the poor man. Now, moving on to verse 13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Now, notice the difference. Verse 13 says, When, God is, uh, no one's, when someone is tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. But in verse 2 it says, When you go through trials, be joyous. You see, there's a difference between a trial and a temptation. Everybody say a trial and a temptation. Somebody say a trial is not sin. But it's a hard time. Somebody say temptation is dealing with sin. Amen. Write that down so you don't forget. When you are tempted, you should not say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Everybody underline these four stages right here. Number one, each one is tempted by their own desire. Put own desire, underline own desire. Number two, dragged away and enticed. That's actually the temptation part. Underline dragged away and enticed. Number three, desire conceived birth to sin. Just underline birth to sin. Lastly, sinful grown gives birth to death. So how does it go? One, two, three, four. Number one, it's an inward desire. Number two, it's something that you give yourself into. Number three, it's something then that you do. And number four, it then brings death to you. So here is the example, and I have given it many a time, and it is my privilege and honor to give it one more time. So Ish, would you please stand up for us, please? Those who have seen it know this example. Those who don't, just get ready to be shocked. <laughs> that, that right there does not turn me on. So I could never be tempted by that. You see, because temptation comes from our own evil desire. Thank you. Let's give it up for Ish. GQ. Some people say, well, 
you know, I would never do X, Y, and Z. I'm better than somebody who does A, B, and C. No, you're not. You're just dealing with two different sins. Hello? You might say to yourself, well, you know, I don't get tempted with homosexuality, so I'm pretty good. Well, if you get tempted with Playboy, you're just as bad as the person getting tempted with homosexuality. You might say to yourself, well, you know what? I would never steal from an old lady. But you might deal with bitterness. You see, all sin is sin, and it works the same way. But what happens is because we're all individuals, we all have individual things that are more enticing to us than other things. He could have stood up right there, and if I struggled with the sin of homosexuality, I might have to go home and pray. I'm just keeping it real. Come on, somebody. Because how many men know if we had a beautiful woman stand up and do that right there, you'd have to guard your thoughts immediately. Let's keep it real. Come on. That's why we ask our women to dress modestly because we don't want women to tempt the men and we don't want women to look at themselves as a sex object. But you see, that's keeping it real because I am prone to the temptation of a beautiful woman and not prone to the temptation of a man. Look at what the Bible says. No one should say God is tempting him. So remember, when you're facing temptation of sin, God has nothing to do with it. Only thing God's trying to do is get you away from it. But each one, verse 14, is tempted by his own evil desire. Now you might say, God, it's unfair that I get tempted with this desire and somebody gets tempted with that desire. You know what? You could talk to God about that when you get to heaven on what desires you had in your sinful nature. I don't understand it more than this. This is the simplest explanation I can give you. We're all born sinners and sin manifests itself in different ways. Because of sin, I have to wear glasses. Sin has brought death physically to this world, sickness. Why is somebody born with a a, a disease and somebody is not? God can explain that in heaven. But we know the root of all of it is from the devil. It's not like because I have to wear glasses, I'm the devil. It's just my eyes are not perfect because a long time ago, perfection was taken from us. Amen? That's why we try to help each other with doctors and medication. We pray for healing. Okay, well, the same thing is with sin. God made us perfect. We were supposed to be perfect. We, weren't, we were naked. Adam and Eve were naked, and there wasn't nothing wrong with being naked in the garden. There wasn't nothing wrong with walking in the buff. The Bible says they were in the buff. And the Bible says God would come around and just be like, hey, what's up? And they would walk in the cool of the day because there ain't nothing wrong with walking naked with Jesus. How many know Jesus still knows when you go take a shower? Hello? Because there ain't nothing wrong. Okay? But what made it wrong? (laughs) What made it wrong? I didn't make it wrong. Your pastor is just telling you as it is, as it is. I didn't make it wrong. I'm just telling you what made it wrong was the devil. Sin came along and made the body perverted. Sin came along and made it a sexual object. That's why right now you can go to Africa and women's just hanging all out there to hold bare chest and everything because a man looks at that as milk for my baby. You see what I'm saying? That's just milk for my baby. That's not even perverted in their mindset. But for most of us, because we have evil desires, we've been brought up in an evil desire culture, we could never look at that and say that's milk for my baby. Hello? And that's, you know, that's why there's this whole breast movement thing, breastfeeding. Women are trying to do it in public again, public again in America, but they won't ever be able to do it because there's too many wicked, evil men around here. You know what I'm saying? Maybe if we were all taught differently and grew up like that, we could understand that. But once again, what makes sex and all of those things, uh, the body evil, it is Satan and sin and the evil desire. 
Because the Bible does say you can have a wife because there ain't nothing wrong. With a little bit of bump and grind with your wife, there ain't nothing wrong. Hello? <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. But there ain't nothing wrong with that. The Bible says, all the married people said amen. All the single people by faith only when you're 45, amen. So what, what's, what's, what's the difference here, okay? It's a body, it's, it's sex. Okay, what makes one evil? What makes one good? God's commands. So what? makes me or a person drawn to break God's command, my own evil desire. That's why the Bible says we have to be born again so that now my evil desires are forgiven in Christ and now I have a new nature. And so now I have two natures battling against each other. The sinful nature that I was born with, inherent with, which is uh, consumed with the mind and all of the things I think about versus the spirit of God and the spiritual nature, which is holy and right. Everybody said amen. So I just kept it real for you because I want you to understand that when you're getting tempted, there's only one person to blame. It's yourself. But here's the good news. Jesus said, I'll take your blame. He said, I'll take it. And he didn't just take sin. Listen to what he took. He took the power of sin. He took the presence of sin. And he took the penalty of sin. Somebody write down those three Ps like you in Bible college and you excited to be here. Come on. He took the power of sin. That means there is no more power of sin over the belief, over the life of the believer. If you are a believer, sin cannot drag you wherever it wants to. You are set free. Somebody say there's freedom. So when you sense the temptation of your evil desire, you can say just like Jesus did, get behind me, Satan. Flesh, get behind me. I will not do it. There's no more power in sin in the believer's life. Number two, the presence of sin is gone. You are, you are not a sinner anymore. You are a saint. You are a child of God. Your righteousness wasn't good enough. But when you believed in Jesus Christ and the cross, he gave his righteousness to you and clothed you with it. Amen. You need to change your outfit. Take off the sinful nature and put on the nature of Christ. Amen. So the presence of sin is gone from our lives. And thirdly, the penalty of sin is gone. Everybody say amen. Why? Because Jesus took our penalty. The Father gave to Jesus the full wrath of all of our sins. That was death. And he gave him death as the punishment for all of us. And since Jesus was innocent, he was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It would be like you today getting into an accident. You be not, you not able to pay the damage you did. Maybe you uh, ran over somebody. Maybe you hit a car. Maybe you ran up into a store, okay? And you're at court, and the judge is saying to you, first of all, there ain't nothing wrong with the judge, okay? He's just upholding the law. He's saying you've got to pay back all these things you've done wrong, right? And you're sitting over there going, I can't pay it. I can't pay it. Now, in the olden days and in some countries, when you are in debt, you go to a debtor's jail. And you stay there until you pay every penny. So imagine then that judge being a righteous judge says you can't pay the debt. Therefore, you go to jail. That's the way it is. An innocent person walks up and says, I'll pay their debt. You see, some people think because Jesus died on the cross for our sin, there's still no punishment. Oh, no, 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 no. Somebody paid the debt. Somebody took the punishment. It just wasn't you. It was Jesus. And so then when you show up in court the next day and you say, well, I'm going to keep on sinning, judge, because I got somebody in the courtroom that's going to keep paying my debt. The Bible says you a child of the devil. 
And you are a liar and you're like the devil and you're going to burn in hell with the devil because the devil been sinning from the beginning. But the Bible says Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil so that you could live free from sin. So, hey, man, the power is broken. The presence is broken and the penalty is broken. That's why I love what First John says. When a believer striving for righteousness does sin, God gets their back. God does still forgive sin of a Christian, but he is not looking for a Christian intentionally sinning, saying, well, I can keep being forgiven. No, no, no. He's looking for a Christian that wants to live a sanctified and holy life. Amen? So think of that to yourself, that when I am tempted, it is because of evil desires in my own heart. Now write down three temptations that you struggle with. Three things quickly that you may face this week. Three things. I can always tell you mine right off the bat. Mine is sexual perversion, pride, and anger, which comes from a lack of patience. Those are always mine. That's the way that I was born. Those are the things that come natural to me. That's why people say, what if the homosexual was born a homosexual? Duh, I was born a sinner. Hello? It don't matter if he was born gay, straight, bi, tri. It don't matter. Here's the law now. You follow it, man. Are y'all with me? Are you listening? Man, I was born with a temper. I was born talking like this loud. You know what I'm saying? I was born impatient. Hello? I like my baby right now. She is impatient. Bethany, it's like when she wants to be fed, she wants to be fed now. You know what I'm saying? And it was so funny yesterday because Nancy left and I fell asleep. And that baby must have been crying for about a good hour and a half because I did not hear nothing. And by the time I got up, she was hot and sweaty and crying. Oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But I did get up and feed her. But I'm just saying, that's like me. Where did she get that from? From me. But here's the thing. Yes, we got it from our daddy, our granddaddy, all the way back to our great, 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 great granddaddy and grandmama, Adam and Eve. But here's the thing. You've been born again. So what three things are you going to overcome today? Write them down. This week, temptation. Come on, list them out there. What three things are you going to face? Remember, when they come, what are they doing? Number one, they're going to come from your own desire. It's going to play out in your own mind. You don't need the devil to help you. Your own mind will do it. You'll think to yourself, man, I I could do X, Y, and Z. I'll be fine. Nobody will know. Now, the second thing is you'll, you'll get enticed to it. And the Bible says that when you think on it as a good thing, then you've already sinned in your heart. The Bible says if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's like committing adultery. You get angry at your brother without cause. The Bible says it's already murder. So right there it begins to grow. It's like, it's like little seeds coming as a temptation if you don't push it out. You begin to in, be enticed by it. Oh, yeah, that would be a great idea. I would love that. Now the Bible says what's going to come next? You're going to do that. Adultery never starts off with the doing of it. It starts with the thinking of it. And it came from the desire of it. Hello? came from the desire of it. So you've got to ask yourself this question. How am I going to overcome these three things today? These three temptations. How are you going to do it? You're going to do it right when you get that desire. You're going to cut it off and say, Jesus, transform my mind. Here's my mind. Transform it. Here's my heart. Conform it. To yours, to yours, oh Lord. Amen. Because holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. You see what I'm talking about? You got to get that desire up in your heart. Take my mind, transform it. Take my heart, conform it. Take my will. So it's, how's it go, brother? Who knows? It goes, it goes, yes. Mind, transform it. Conform it and then will. 
formant. It's formant conformant. So you're basically dealing with the mind, will, and a heart. Sing it for me, brother. Stand up and sing it for us. Just stand up and give it to us. Take my. Come on. Conform it. Transform it to yours, to yours. Amen. Let's give Ishmael a hand clap. Amen. So conform, transform, and, and conform. So, did I say it backwards? Just the bottom line is don't let it happen. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Amen. Praise God. Now you've learned about how to not give in to sin. Wonderful thing. Now look at verse 14. Uh, verse 16, rather. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Here, I always love when the Bible tells you don't be deceived. You're going to learn something because somebody's trying to deceive you. See, listen, man. When the Bible says don't be deceived, that means somebody's trying to lie to you. Here's what it says. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that what we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So here's the deal. Never be deceived that God is trying to harm you. Never be deceived whether you're facing a trial or a temptation that God is trying to do bad things to you. I know sometimes when we first get saved and we really, really want to go out and sin and we want to go out with our friends and we just got to go to church and the prayer meeting. It, it seems like God is punishing you, but he's not. He's a good God. He's actually trying to bless you. Amen. Adultery doesn't bring good things. Fornication doesn't bring good things. Telling lies don't bring good things. God's commandments are actually there to bless you. Remember who he is. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let your own weary, tired, lonely, old, broken heart with a tear up in your beard deceive you, all right? I'm just going to go get something to drink. I'm done. Little tear in your beard. Come on. You just need to say, I'm going to live for God because God is good and He has my best interest in mind. And all things work together for my good because I'm called according to His purpose. Amen? Don't be deceived by what the devil tells you. Verse 19, going on now to listening. We've done trials, wisdom, humility, temptation. Now we're going to go to listening. My dear brothers, take note of this. Wives, touch your husbands and say, take note of this. Maybe a couple up in here. Come on, touch somebody. Say, now look at your neighbor. Take, touch your neighbor and say, take note of this. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to talk and give excuses. Is that what it says? Everyone should be quick to get angry in traffic. Hallelujah. Thank God for traffic. What a trial that is. Everyone should be what? A quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Isn't that a beautiful verse? That will change your life. Come on, it changes you if you put that into practice. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. I love what the Bible says, moral filth. And the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So what are we learning here? That our mouth, as it says later on, is a fire set on by the fires of hell. 
that we will have, as the Bible says, good and bad coming out of the same tongue. As spring and salt water can't go together, nor should good and bad come out of our tongue. The Bible also says that we, and you've seen them at the Barnum and Bailey circuses, can control the most wild of animals, the biggest of cruise ships, a little old man behind the steering wheel. But the Bible says man can't even control his own tongue. This own little three-inch by two-inch purse a thing in his mouth. He can't even control. How many know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Come on, somebody. God is looking for us to zip it and to, you know, get right with him and say, you know what? I need to listen first. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. You know why? Because you've got to fill, that, fill, fill out that other verse. Because man's anger does not perform the righteousness of God. So take, for example, I'm in traffic. Or I'm not in traffic. Um, Josh and I are eating the hot dog right there on diversity and around Austin-ish. Right there? Okay. And all of a sudden, we see a dude. He didn't like what was going on in traffic. So I guess he pinned in another car on the road. And he was screaming and yelling at him. So this guy must have done something to this other guy. And the crazy guy, like, pins him in. So the, I think it was like a Greek guy or like a Polish guy. He couldn't go anywhere. And the guy in the car that is pinning him in with his own car is like, let's get it on. <laughs> now, how many understand what I'm talking about? That does not perform the righteousness of God. No good is going to come out of that man pimp slapping that other man. How many know that? There ain't no good going to come out of that. Because there's a lot wrong with pinning in another car. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot wrong with starting a fight with your wife. Come on. You see, what the Bible is trying to say is that we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then slow to become angry. Because where does it all break down? We stop listening. We start talking. Now we're angry. Hello? You know what I'm talking about. Parents with your children, children with your parents, you stop listening. You start talking. Now you're angry because you're not listening anymore. You're not hearing what somebody is saying. Same thing in the church. When the people get mad at the pastor, when they stop listening, begin talking, and they start getting angry because they don't want to sit back and listen. I guarantee you, your life and my life will always be a better life if we can sit and listen clearly to the problems going on. If then we can speak clearly and be slow to become angry, everything's going to be all right. Amen? And if it's not, just call Ricky because that's what he gets paid to do is to fix the problem. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, let's keep going right here. The Bible says that you are to not have any moral filth in your life. Brother, I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to go to Christian movies on Google. Don't put it up. If you can, you can. But I don't want people to be distracted. I want to give you one of the greatest things that I found on the Internet to help keep a moral filth away from me, and that is a Christian review of movies. You know what? Entertainment today is one of the easiest ways filth will come into our lives. My dad told me like this. He said, son, would you let anybody in your house fornicate? I said, no. Would you let anybody in your house be violent and do disrespectful things to each other right in your house? And I said, no. And he says, then why do you let it on the TV? Why do you let it on the movies? Would you let somebody tell an off-color joke in your house in front of your kids? So this is what I want you to do because I think that this has gotten way out of hand in our church. I think that because when I first started off in Christianity, I did not watch TV or movies for eight years that I began to start to watch TV and movies, that I began to say to people, maybe the people in the church will use the same type of wisdom and discernment that I use in picking movies and TVs that they will use. And I haven't seen that same discernment. 
I really haven't. So in our 201 class, I forgot to mention it, but we're going to make a rule that no more rated R movies in 201 class at all. None. Because I think it's time. I got like a piece of hair. I'm sorry. It's like right in my face. I'm not going crazy, by the way. Because I do not want anyone to be deceived by this world on what moral filth is. You need to get that junk out your life. And I want to tell some of you right here, there was a movie that I wanted to watch, and we're going to put it up here. Have you found ChristianReviews.com? Put it up there, and uh, we're going to give them the website. Okay, ChristianMovies.com. Okay, this is not it. Help him back there-ish. Find that website that we go to. That was what I asked, but it wasn't what I was looking for. I'm going to give you a website where you can see every movie be reviewed by Christians. And I'm going to put in there a movie that I wanted to see, and I want you to listen. This guy, don't go to our church. This guy obviously doesn't know me at all, but listen to what he says when he reviews this movie. And some of you who went to that movie, you're going to need to repent. And we all have to repent for doing things like this because I'll be to blame too. But I'm telling you, this moral filth thing, because we all say, because, you know, if I said homosexuality is moral filth, everybody would be like, that's moral filth, Pastor. And if I was like, you know, murder is moral filth and gangs, and like, that's moral filth, Pastor. You know, they would say it's just like that, moral filth, Pastor. Okay, that's how they would say it. That's the goofy way they would say it too. Moral filth, Pastor. Okay, but then if I say, hey, you need to watch what you're watching, on TV and movies, you need to watch what superheroes you're subscribing to. You need to watch what music you're listening to. You need to watch what magazines and books you're reading. Now it gets quiet. So, brother, do you have the website for us? Just put the one that comes up. I want the main one that, that comes up, that, that the one that we have. Uh, yes, brother, what are these things we are pulling up? Christian Life Advisor. Can we have a little background music and I'll find it? Brother, just listen to what I'm saying. Christian reviews of movies. Okay, which one came up? Okay. Thank you, my brother. As we're waiting. It can't get any more awkward than this, so we might as well just go with it now. Okay, there we go. Okay. Crosswalk.com. Is it, this is not quite the one I'm looking for. Let's see if it, 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 it doesn't have any of the list of the movie. Okay, as, okay, there you go. Just think that's all I needed. Christian Spotlight right there, brother. That's the one I needed. Thank you. This is the best one right here, ChristianAnswers.net Spotlight. This is what I want you guys to get used to doing. Parents, I want you to do this with your kids because you know what? I don't think we've been doing this well enough. There we go. Now I want you to go down, and I want you to look for the movie Watchmen. See, there we go. Now we're going to start pointing fingers and everybody's going to justify themselves. Go on down. Should be a little bit further. You just find it for us and you tell us when it comes up because you know what? Here's what I want us to do. Everybody write down this web address, please. I want you to get in the habit. 201 class had already graduated, the 11 of you. You know who you are. I want you to get into the habit of this if you haven't already. But now every single person in our 201 class, I want you to do this before you watch a movie. As part of your discipleship, I want you to learn to discern between good and evil. Because there are so many things right now that we have as Christians in our life that are actually shameful and that shouldn't be any part of our lives, but yet they're a part of Christians' lives. The music, the movies, I would even go so far as some of the sports. I think some of those fighting things can get too violent. 
Even though I know there can be Christians in those UFC things, but I'm telling you, if you find in your heart an evil desire, things that are coming up out of that, if there's a violent streak in you and you find that there are things in your heart that are coming up, you need to cut that off. Are you all listening to me? Brother, put it up there for us, please. You, are you guys kidding me? Brother, it is on there. Put it back up, brother. Put it back up there. Okay. Once again. Okay. Look at recent releases. Okay, where are we pointing to? Where are we pointing? Bam, the big picture. There we go. Okay, now watch how it does this. Thank you for doing this, gentlemen. So watch what it does. It's going to tell you the same things that that... Uh, whatever the agency who does ratings, strong graphic violence, sexuality, nudity, and language. Okay, let me help some of you out right here. When the movie's rated R and it says it has nudity, that is bad. That, that's already over the line. That means you're going to be seeing breastuses and buttocks and all types of stuff that you shouldn't be seeing. Now, hey, I appreciate that we get embarrassed a little bit and we laugh in church when I was talking about the sexual things, but you know what I just gave you was a G rating compared to what you guys watch on TV and movies. Everyone here will watch a TV or a movie show that will make what I talked about, sex and temptation and ish standing up, make it look like I belong on a G show. They wouldn't even put that on a Saturday Night Live skit. Are you all listening to me? So let's not act like we're holier than thou now, okay? Let's just keep it real. When you are looking for a movie and you're at the rated R rating and that says nudity, that thing is going to be bare-chested, bare-butt nudity. That is wrong for a Christian. Now, I like about this guy... And he is called to do it, so I don't recommend everybody saying, well, I'm called to watch the movie and tell everybody else what it's about. No, this is a Christian guy. He does it as a calling to help special people like us. And I say special people because it's kind of retarded that we don't get it on our own. Like we should see our sexuality, nudity, and go, okay, I'm not going to watch it. But because there's people who still don't get it, he has to tell them. So go down, uh, please. And I want you to just go down a little bit more past the actors and all of this. And he's going to review this whole thing. He's going to tell you about you went way too fast, way too far, brother. Go right here. He's going to stop right there. He's going to tell you this whole thing right here. He's going to tell you about what the movie was about. And then uh, go back up for me, please. And then right here, go back up just a little bit. He's going to tell you the things that are offensive. Go, I mean, go all the way back up. You know what we need to get? I need to get a computer up here. How many would like to see that? Amen. That would have saved us like 15 minutes today. Okay. You see right here, it's going to tell you, go, go up a little bit. Okay, where, where's he uh, doing it? Okay, maybe it's not where I thought. I'm talking about where he's going to say them. Okay, moral rating. That's what I was looking for. What does he say? Extremely offensive. Okay, when a Christian says he watched the movie, and the movie is extremely offensive. Should we watch it, yes or no? Okay, now scroll all the way down to the bottom. And he's going to have pros and cons, and people are going to write right here. Stop right here. People now are going to tell you the positives. Now watch this. I want to tell you how, how stupid people are. They are fools, and the Bible says they're fools. I want you to look at this. Positive. Parents. This person is positively pr promoting the movie. Look what he says. Parents. I strongly recommend that you do not allow your children, teenagers, to view this film, okay? So it sounds like it's going to be a negative, but watch. 
Not only is it extremely violent, graphic, and horrific in its display of violence, it is also very strongly sexually explicit. Okay, big exclamation mark. This movie deserves a rating of M.A. for the mature audience. The reference of Dr. Manhattan as God is outrageous. It's also outrageous that towards the end of the movie he says, maybe I'll start life on my own planet. I'm thinking of the wrong one. Positive towards this guy. Go down. Because there's this one right here. I want you to read what Christians say. Go down. Negative. They're uh, neutral. This is what I wanted. Thank you. I'm not sure where to rate this movie. I think fans of the comic book will love it. I'm not a fan of the comic book, but I have read it in its entirety and felt that seeing this movie in its entirety at least once was worthwhile. Okay, now look how retarded this guy is. He's going to tell you, or Rachel, this woman, it's okay. Now watch. This movie has a lot of violence, and a lot of my guy friends had to look away at parts because it was too graphic. There were several graphic sex scenes, too, and, of course, Dr. Manhattan is naked completely through the whole thing. Because of all this, I probably only saw half the movie since my eyes were averted the rest of the time. But she didn't walk out. That's what's crazy to me. Nevertheless, it was probably only saw, uh, probably only less... It was a beautifully rendered piece of work and almost faithful to a fault to the comic book. Now, everyone look up at me. Is it really worth watching a movie that is, what does she say here, uh, flawlessly rendered beautifully, but it causes you to see things you're not supposed to? What is wrong with people today? Look what the Bible says. Can we go back to the Bible now? Okay, leave that up there for me, brother. Let's go back to the Bible. Here we go. The Bible says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth, moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Are you going to accept this today? Are you going to live by this today? Go back up there for me, my brother. Go all the way up to the top. What I love about this is that as you begin to scroll down, now scroll down slowly, please. Look on the right-hand side. Keep going. Just a nice little scroll, like we're walking to the park. Because it's going to get to this part right here. Just keep going. Little pictures. Right there, stop. Look at all the things they're going to tell you about this. Justice, the judgment of God, things that it may be skewing, rape victims in the Bible. Look at, go go right down, nudity. Where does it say Nudity. Why are humans supposed to wear clothes? Let's say you're saying it to yourself. Why, why am I wearing clothes to begin with, right? I feel like I cannot wear clothes. Now go hit the answer there. Hit answer. Okay, move that white thing, the mouse, where it says answer under nudity. Okay, follow me right here, right here. Follow to here. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Why are humans supposed to wear clothes like it's a family question? We were just around the dinner table, kids, and I was wondering, why do we wear clothes? Oh, have you ever wondered why do we wear clothes? Sure, I've wondered that. Okay, there you go. Now you get to learn about those things. Everybody say, thank you, Pastor. Amen. Let's all stand up to our feet, please. The last one is obedience. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If you can put back up the scripture, I'd appreciate that. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. 
How many want to be blessed? How many want to be blessed? Come on. Be obedient to God's word. What's the last thing there teach us? Or the second to last thing in this chapter? It says, don't forget what you've learned. Don't be only a listener, but be a doer. So how many this week today are going to trust God in, for the rest of their life in trials? How many are going to ask God for wisdom when they don't know what's going on in their life? How many today are going to live humility in a humble life, whether they're rich or poor? How many today are going to understand what it means to fight temptation and not give in to sin? How many are going to be slow to uh, speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry? How many here today will continue to, to take this word of God and to study it and to obey it? And don't just be a hearer of it, but be a doer you know i just i i get so upset when i meet people on the streets and they say i know the commands and then i'm like well are you following them and they're like yeah i'm doing pretty good because i don't murder anybody and i'm like there's like a a point a there's like nine other commands in the ten commandments other than murder and then by the way i've counted in the new testament about another 150 from christ and the apostles so how are you doing on those other 150 i'm glad you haven't murdered anybody but have you coveted have you had bitterness have you had sexual adultery adult, uh, adultery in your heart have you been angry with your brother without cause come on somebody don't just be a hearer of the word be a doer of the word amen and the bible says if you continue continue to do this that means you keep doing it you don't give up when you're 15 and 16 you go to your 19 and 20 and then you don't give up as an adult you do it to your uh, middle-aged adult to your old adult to you're in the nursing home you keep following the commands of the lord amen Come on up here, Ben, please, because when Bertha comes on by and you are in the, the nursing home and she's moving it like this, you're going to say, look, man, I am not giving in to that.